head on over to Acts. That's where we're going to be today. We've been talking about for a few weeks that we serve an impossible God who has offered us a life that is absolutely supernatural. That is clear from the scriptures. However, it doesn't happen on its own. So we're looking at different aspects of our activity as Christians uh, who want to see the, the power of God working in our lives. So we've looked at devotion, we've looked at faith, and today we're going to turn to the New Testament to see the next stop in this process, <clears throat> discipling others. We're all familiar with Matthew 28, verse 19, which says, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's interesting to point out and recognize that we are not commanded to go and make converts as followers of Jesus Christ. We're to go and make disciples, and someone who converts is very different than someone who is a disciple. We're not to only share the gospel, which we are, but then we're to get those who believe on the disciple road. We're to help them and show them how to identify with Christ so that they can have their lives transformed. And in, in that process, we are called to be discipled by others as well. Now, the word discipleship means a lot of different things to different people. Um, you know, frankly, in the American evangelical culture, it's become largely programmatic with, you know, accountability groups or small group studies or some other sort of system. Uh, that's not necessarily wrong, but we just want to talk about this because since we are commanded to disciple people, it's important that we understand what that actually means or what the Lord actually requires of us. Uh, there's a powerful and very practical example of how we carry out this command in our lives, even if it seems impossible, in Acts chapter 9. Uh, what we're going to see there is the conversion of Saul, uh, but more importantly, we're going to see then a Christian man named Ananias carrying out the calling to disciple others. So Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, reads this way. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And uh, to him the Lord said in the vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he may receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests, chief priests to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, 
has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. Then Saul arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. <coughs> what we find is that biblical discipleship isn't very programmatic. In our culture, we love programs. We love books. We love methods. We love systems. Most of what we do in the church as discipleship is programmatic. That's not necessarily wrong. However, it's not necessarily biblical either. Here's the thing. When God asks you as an individual to participate in discipleship, he's not asking for a program. He's asking for a here I am. That's what he's asking for. That's the starting point. Because the Lord can and does accomplish his will for people's lives in all sorts of large and small ways. Even look at Paul or Saul, which I'll use those names interchangeably, you know, on one hand, God uses this supernatural, miraculous situation where he knocks him off his horse and shines a light and actually speaks to him from heaven audibly. And then in the next moment, he uses just some guy who already lives in the town to come and say hi to him. And so the Lord accomplishes his will in all sorts of different ways. And our activity in discipleship doesn't begin with a system. It begins with just volunteering by coming to the Lord who's calling us and saying, here I am. Uh, and that's an important thing. Ananias was going to accomplish some wonderful discipleship here in this text, and he serves us as an example. But really what he did was very simple. It was very plain. What we see highlighted is the way that he carried this out, the way that he approached this calling. And hopefully there are a few ideas we can bring home to our own lives as we take a look at what happened. So Saul is knocked off his horse there on his mission of violence against the church, and he's blinded on the road uh, toward Damascus. Jesus tells him to get up and go into the city, and then his companions lead him by the hand into this house. Then, in verse 6, Saul is told that he's going to have to wait for someone to come and tell him what he must do. I think that's really interesting because Jesus had already gone to the trouble of opening up heaven to talk to this guy directly. And then he says, okay, you, you're God of very God, and you're talking to me directly. Heaven, and earth, you know, heaven has been split open, and you're revealing yourself to me in, in this really profound way really supernatural way so what do you want me to do and jesus says you need to wait i'm not going to tell you what you must do you're going to wait for another guy to come and tell you what you're going to do i think that's really interesting that jesus didn't explain it to him right then since he had already gone to all this trouble but elsewhere god was appearing to a man named ananias in a vision a christian there in the city and he gives ananias the specific task of going and ministering to saul and when god shows up to direct ananias he calls out to him, and Ananias says, here I am. And, and it says there in the text that after Ananias said, here I am, it says, so God said, you know, because Ananias responded, here I am, then the Lord uh, called him to do this discipleship. If you go into a program like eSword or another Bible program that lets you do a phrase search, and you type in, here I am, and search for that phrase, you're going to find some very interesting passages. And it occurs a number of times in the Old and New Testament, and really that could be you know, a whole series of studies by, by themselves. But so many times what we see in those here I am passages is God revealing himself or revealing some plan he has and then waiting for someone to take up that call, waiting for someone to say, here I am. Uh, when God called to Moses from the burning bush, for example, he says, Moses, Moses, and then he waits. Moses says, here I am. Uh, when God was revealing himself to Samuel, the young first prophet of Israel, Samuel answered, here I am. When God said, Who's going to go for us? Isaiah 
said, here I am, Lord, send me. The calling to make disciples, which we all have placed on our lives right now, starts with a person who's ready to go, ready to be sent, ready to say, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm ready to be used. And once we've made ourselves available to the Lord, then God's going to put us to task after that. For Moses, it was to lead two million people out of bondage. For Samuel, it was to be the transition between different leaderships in Israel. For Isaiah, it was to go and preach to God's people. For Ananias, it was to go to a house, meet a guy, put your hands on him. Pretty simple. Uh, it was a relatively simple task. However, uh, we know from our perspective that it was the beginning of an incredible life of ministry of the last and perhaps greatest apostle of Jesus Christ. We look back and we're like, man, this is the beginning. This is the moment you know, to us where Saul becomes Paul and then Paul is you know, the apostle and he's the guy. Now, the task was pretty simple, but the target wasn't simple at all. In fact, the person God had called Ananias to disciple was, was quite dangerous. Uh, the target there seemed impossible. Look at verse 13 again. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now, as usual, I, I think, you know, in our own minds or in commentaries, we're really quick to criticize Ananias about this statement. However, you know, I don't personally think that this was really back-talking to God. Sometimes you see people back-talk to God in the scriptures. Um, I, at very least, I think there's enough room in the text that we can give him the benefit of the doubt because when God responds to what Ananias says here in verse 13 and 14, he doesn't rebuke Ananias. Okay, so there's plenty of times in the Bible where God says something to somebody, they say, yeah, I'm not doing that, and then the Lord rebukes them. You know, remember when Peter was there on the rooftop earlier in the book of Acts, and he's called to go and preach to the house of Cornelius. He had the vision of the sheet and all the different kinds of animals come down. And the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, yeah, I'm not doing that because these animals are unclean. And uh, God answered and rebuked him for saying that. He said, no, I don't want you to say that. You're going to eat these animals. And that happened three times. And so the Lord's not afraid of rebuking people when they back talk to him, you know. And I don't see a rebuke in this text. Uh, so I think it's better to give Ananias the benefit of the doubt instead of always jumping to criticize somebody in the Bible. What I think he may have been asking the Lord was, how exactly is this going to work? Lord, how, how, how is this you know, really going to happen? Because even if, say, Saul, he says, well, you know, Saul's there, he's praying. Okay, well, even if Saul is willing, even if he's praying, he still has an entourage with him. He's still in a house of this guy named Judas who is undoubtedly... Uh, a Jewish man who was a sympathizer of Paul's cause. You know, I don't think Paul just showed up and said, let me in your house. I, I mean, I think they found allies in Damascus, uh, or at least his entourage did. And uh, perhaps the entourage was still planning violence against the Christians. And, and so was there a certain way that he was supposed to approach this man? How is this going to work? When I go to this house, you know, what do you want me to do? I, I, that's what I see more here in his response. When we are discipling people individually or if we're involved in some kind of discipleship group, it's important to remember that God hasn't given a set program by which everyone is brought along. God works uniquely and individually because he has a unique and individual plan for each of his people. And so we need to seek Lord and say, okay, Lord, well, how do you want this to work? How do you want this to happen? When, when I go and identify this person, how exactly you know, should I come across? Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go... For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And so what we see there is that God has a specific 
and special plan for your life, and he has a specific and special plan for the lives of the people that he wants you to go and disciple, which means that we have to rely on the Lord's direction and explanation and his plan when we're trying to minister to others. We can't just put a cookie cutter on everybody that we're trying to minister to because the Lord has special and unique plans for those people. Paul was a very unique guy, and the Lord was going to use very specific methods and situations to build up his faith here and his ministry. And so our discipling of others should be specifically led by God, not formulaic, not simply programmatic, even if it might seem easier or might even seem uh, more you know, pious in some ways. So Ananias obeyed immediately there, and, and we see a few more practical things that he did. First, he met Saul where he was at, literally. He went and met Saul. He didn't send out a convoy that says, hey, come on over to my house and I'll heal you of your blindness. He went and to the house and inquired of Saul. He met him where he was at. Oftentimes, I think a mistake that we can make as Christians is always waiting for ministry to just be served up to us where we are on a platter. You know, we need to wait for direction. We need to wait for the moments where God brings opportunity to our lives. But once those people and those opportunities are there, once that leading or that burden has been put on our hearts, man, we need to get up and go. Uh, we need to meet people where they are, not always recede away and expect everyone out there you know, to just come to me wherever I feel most comfortable. Next, Ananias put his hands on Saul and called him brother. This is discipleship, really. I mean, that, that one verse is kind of the perfect example of what discipleship really is. He didn't show up as Saul's mentor. He didn't show up as Saul's superior. He showed up as a loving brother. He showed up with you know, compassion and with personal affection. Discipleship isn't about ranking one believer over another. Okay, well, this is my level, and you're at this level, and soon you'll be a Christian Jedi, but until now you have to do this. You're like my intern. That's not discipleship. At all, It's about helping those who are younger in the Lord know what they must do. Remember, Paul said, what do you want me to do? And, God, and Jesus said to him, you're going to go into town, you're going to wait till someone comes and tells you what to do. Now that you're giving your life to me, you're going to wait and hear what I have to say to you. Because people younger in the Lord just don't know yet. When somebody first gets saved, they don't know what God has called them to, you know, in their marriage or in their parenting or in all of these other things. They need someone to tell them. They need someone to bring God's words to them and explain it to them. It's not that we make disciples, that as we make disciples, we become swamis or we become gurus or we become Jedis. That's not how it works. We're brothers. We're supposed to go to one another as brothers. And we should disciple others like a brother loves a brother, getting our hands into their lives with compassion and attention. Again, being personal, not just being programmatic. And then we see Ananias talk a little bit to Saul before he's healed. He says in verse 17, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting about that statement that he makes. Ananias knew a lot more than he said to Paul, right? I mean, when you look at what God told Ananias and then what he said to Paul, you know, he knew a lot more than he said. The Lord had talked to Ananias about what Paul was going to become and how he would preach to kings and Jews and Gentiles, how he was going to suffer in this life that he was going to live. But what did Ananias do? He stuck with the basics. He went to Paul and he says, okay, this is what's going on with your life right now. He focused on, on the need that Paul had for daily dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit in his life and, and how, how Jesus was going to heal him and, and really basic, basic stuff. 
And then he baptized Paul. He explained to Paul how he could find his whole identity in Christ, what it means to become a new creation, giving Paul an action to take to find life in Christ, baptizing him. And then at the end there, it says Paul hung out with the disciples in Damascus. So then Ananias got him plugged in with the other Christians, got him plugged in with the other disciples. Really simple. He just went and met with the guy. He showed love to him. He got involved in his life, and he kept with the basics. He says, man, what you need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What you need is the daily presence of Jesus Christ in your life, and you need to identify with him, and you need to get connected with other believers. Simple. That's what we're called to do. This is discipleship being led to to people by God and then leading them back to the Lord. Explaining to them how to live life as someone who follows Jesus Christ. Being personally invested in their lives and then getting them plugged into the body of Christ. Later on in this chapter, we see Barnabas doing the same thing with Paul, kind of reinforcing this. We don't have time to go over that text, but you know, the guy, he starts preaching in Damascus, people want to kill him, so they ship him off to Jerusalem. He's doing, he gets to Jerusalem, none of the Christians want to have anything to do with him. They're like, this is a scam, you know, we're afraid of this guy. And when others didn't want to have anything to do with Paul, it says that Barnabas went and brought Paul to the other believers. He got him connected, he got him plugged in, he showed him compassion, and personal, he personally invested in Paul's life. It's simple action, but it's important action, and that's what we're called to do. So here's the deal. We're called upon and commanded to make disciples. And that's different than just being called upon to make converts. To make a disciple, we have to get involved in people's lives, not programmatically, but personally. I have to actually go and get my hands onto somebody's life. And we, need, we all need to be discipled as well by people who are farther along who can teach us in the things of the Lord. People who are, who, you know, who are able to influence us and sharpen us. People who are truly being used by God, not just the person who has a program or a person who has set themselves up as a mentor over you, saying, well, I'm going to disciple you because I'm so important. No, people that God is actually using to do things and going to them and saying, hey, you know, can you pray with me? Can you help me? Can you, you know, you know spend time sharpening me? And I'll, you know, and I'll do that as well. We see these relationships demonstrated in the Bible, and it puts discipleship into perspective. Ananias and Paul, Barnabas and John Mark, Paul and Timothy later on. You know, even when Timothy was a pastor, Paul was still discipling him, and so that's an important thing. And so if we're never discipling others like these guys did, and if we're never being developed like those guys were, then we're not accomplishing the discipleship that we're asked to. If we're not being used to develop younger believers, then we need to pause our lives and answer God's call to get up and go. I think it's interesting that in our text, God said the same thing at one point to both Saul and Ananias. He said, arise and go. And so he says, get up and go. Get up and go and be discipled by the person God reveals to you. Get up and go disciple those that the Lord has put in your path personally and compassionately. That's the call. Our only answer is, here we are, Lord. Send us.